When you transmit electricity through a cable or other conductor, some portion of that energy is lost during transmission. This is the result of what's called electrical resistance, which is caused by the electrons of which the electricity consists, colliding with other electrons and atoms and or with impurities in the material through which they're passing. This is largely what determines the conductivity of a material. So metals like copper and non-metal substances like graphite have high conductivity and low resistance, while materials like rubber have high resistance and thus low conductivity. Both types of material can be useful, as for instance, you can make gloves and boots using rubber that will help you avoid electrocution, while copper is great if you want to produce wires that rapidly carry electricity from place to place with relatively little loss of energy along the way. Most conductive materials, though, the ones we know about anyway, still suffer from at least some level of resistance, which means no matter how high quality the copper we use in our electrical cables, we will still lose some of the energy we send along those cables, which is waste. And in a lot of cases, that waste takes the form of heat, those electrons that are blocked or knocked off course being emitted as waste heat, which can cause its own problems in some cases, including the straining of electrical cables, which expand and contract due to a change in temperature caused by that heat. Superconductivity was originally discovered in mercury back in 1911 by a Dutch physicist who was working on a theory that had been posited and forwarded by several other researchers in preceding years, the idea being that metals might demonstrate decreased resistance, perhaps even to the point of zero resistance, if dramatically cooled down, with one prominent theory stating that pure metals cooled to absolute zero which is zero Kelvin, the lowest possible temperature on the thermodynamic scale, at which point entropy reaches its minimum possible value. Metals cooled to that temperature would become perfect conductors of electricity, all resistance disappearing, and thus no more loss of energy along the way. A slew of patents for technologies and techniques related to this concept were filed in the early 1900s by folks like Nikola Tesla, by the inventor of the vacuum tube and radio transmitter, and by the inventor of the refrigerator, among other luminaries of that period. But that aforementioned Dutch physicist, Heike Onnes, had a breakthrough when he changed up his research, moving away from platinum and gold to work with mercury, which he was able to cool to cryogenic temperatures using liquid helium. That cooling brought the temperature of the helium down to 4.19 Kelvin, at which point the resistivity of the mercury he was using dropped to zero, at least according to the devices he was using to measure such things at the time. He later reversed the process and found that at 4.2 Kelvin, resistance was still there, but by dropping it just a tiny bit to 4.19 Kelvin, it disappeared completely, and he called this sudden drop to zero resistance supraconductivity, before later renaming it superconductivity. 
He won the Nobel Prize for Physics for this discovery in 1913, and in subsequent years this phenomenon was discovered in other materials as well, including lead in 1913, niobium in the 1930s, and niobium nitride in 1941, which hit superconductivity when cooled to 7, 10, and 16 Kelvin, respectively. What I'd like to talk about today is superconductivity, why it's interesting and important, and how a recent paper on the subject has ignited a firestorm of interest and activity. You are listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. LK99, named for the initials of Lee and Kim, two scientists who reportedly first synthesized this material in 1999, is the designation of a novel material at the center of a research paper published on Archive, an open access platform for non-peer-reviewed scientific papers. In some fields, it is standard practice to post one's work on this online service so that it can be viewed and discussed before it goes through the peer review process and is then eventually published in a more official peer review journal. This moniker has gone viral online following the publication of this paper, which says in essence that these researchers have discovered a substance that is superconductive at room temperature and at ambient pressure. The paper included a video in which a small sample of LK99 is levitating over a magnet which the paper's authors say demonstrates the Meisner effect, which is an effect superconducting materials demonstrate that involves emitting a magnetic field that will repel nearby magnets. So this small piece of LK99 levitating over a magnet suggests that it is superconductive because the magnetic field it is emitting is pushing it away, causing it to float. The announcement of LK99 and the social media hubbub that has followed that announcement has caught many experts in this field off guard and led to a lot of warnings and history lessons and loudly voiced concerns alongside a moderate amount of optimism. Scientists who specialize in solid-state physics and superconductivity have warned the enthused masses that we see these sorts of papers and announcements a lot, and all of them, so far, have ended up being mistakes or frauds. Even very cool, interesting, legit-seeming papers and videos can be fabricated or produced to meet paper publishing quotas, which are common in academia worldwide. So people rush stuff out the door, not because they expect what they worked on to change the world, but because there are other incentives to do so. What's more, there are properties, like the Meisner effect, that can be indicative of superconductivity, but which can also show up for other reasons, or which are similar to other effects that are often mistaken for those effects. So any announcement of this kind is best met with skepticism until the experiments and fabrication processes can be replicated by a bunch of different labs, proving that what seems to have happened and been discovered actually happened and was actually discovered. The sudden, widespread interest in superconductivity, though, is worth focusing on for a moment, as it is a subfield of physics and materials science that many of us will encounter at some point in our lives, but which we do not necessarily have any reason to be familiar with, because it's still pretty niche. We have superconductors already. 
like mercury and lead and all those other substances that we cooled down early in the 20th century. But the materials we are able to nudge into this state so far today all require either extreme cold or high pressure to function as superconductors, which limits their utility significantly because it is difficult to super chill power cables and MRI machines, which use superconductors to do what they do, are expensive to make and operate because you have to expend a lot of energy and other materials to keep the internal components at the incredibly cold temperatures required for them to function. If we were to discover or develop room temperature, ambient pressure superconductors though, or even something close to that, materials that become superconductors at a relatively warm temperature compared to the materials we currently have at hand, or which only require a little bit of pressurization to achieve the same, that could be world-changing in terms of the technologies and capabilities that would then be producible and wieldable. At a very simple level, if you can remove resistance in a circuit, you can transmit energy without loss, which could make ultra-efficient electrical transmission a reality, allowing us to send solar-generated electricity from one country where the sun shines day in and day out to another country on the other side of the planet without suffering the losses that such transmission would suffer today, making most plans of that kind non-starters now, but legitimate realities if we had these materials available. What's more, you could theoretically create simple batteries by injecting electricity into a looped circuit and then cutting that circuit off, allowing it to endlessly flow around that loop over and over again until you want to recapture that energy by allowing it to flow elsewhere. Our electrical grids could thus be made super efficient, and the containment fields that are one of the key issues we face in developing practical net energy generating fusion reactors would be all but solved. We could produce faster processors for our devices, inexpensive MRIs and other imaging machines. We can make widely deployable maglev trains and incredibly efficient and powerful particle accelerators. There are elements of quantum computing that would also be simplified and made cheap, which would help that industry evolve more rapidly than is currently feasible. All of which, of course, is partially predicated on the assumption that not only would we be able to replicate and scale up the production of a newly discovered room temperature ambient pressure superconductor of this kind, but also that it would be relatively inexpensive, at least someday, to do so. It's possible that we could discover such a material only to find that it's more expensive than uranium, which would significantly limit its use, even if we would still benefit from that discovery in mostly non-consumer limited applications. That would still be a very big deal. A cheap version of the same, though, made from widely available materials, could be revolutionary. And that's part of why LK99 seems to have become such a popular online phenomenon. It's made with relatively widely available, relatively inexpensive materials, and could be fabricated by pretty much any lab with the right, also not crazy or rare, fabrication tools. The fact that this was not just a big claim about a potentially revolutionary material, but also one that could be relatively easily replicated by other labs and even independent researchers globally, kicked off a remarkable week 
of well-documented, heavily live-streamed and tweeted and photographed and recorded scientific activity that was shared with the masses and which brought in-situ science in action that we could all watch happen as it occurred to our typical broadcasting platforms and social networks. Once folks started to understand the implications of this and the fact that if it proved to be true, it could change pretty much everything, while also resulting in an immediate Nobel Prize for the folks behind it, this became not just a science world enthusiasm, but incredible entertainment of the kind material science and physics efforts seldom become. The stakes were big and clear and people started looking into what this whole thing entailed, what success looked like, and who all was involved in this race to replicate the original team, which was located in South Korea, their findings. As of the day I'm recording this, the word is still out as to whether LK99 is what it seems to be. Some early replications suggest that it has superconductive properties, but not at room temperature, maybe at temperatures as high as 110 Kelvin, which is still great compared to most of the other superconductors we have available now, but also a far cry from the 300 or so Kelvin we usually designate as room temperature. And for context, at 273 Kelvin, water freezes, so 110 is still pretty cold. Other replications failed to show any superconductivity, and it has been speculated that the original experiment was maybe flawed or shoddily performed, that maybe those involved just didn't know what they were looking at, or were tricked by those superconductivity-associated effects that can also manifest in other non-superconductive circumstances sometimes. And some folks have posited that the original team just didn't have specific enough instructions on how to replicate their experiment, possibly because they didn't know how to achieve exactly what they had achieved, because the process can result in minutely different outcomes, which implies more replications and research and refinement of these processes will be necessary, but that there is still a chance that this general combination of elements and techniques can lead to where they claim it led in their case. As of the day I'm recording this, 11 key teams associated with universities and labs in China, India, the US, and South Korea have been posting their findings or making announcements about their replication efforts, and four of those teams have reported partial successes or failures, three have reported full-on failures, and the rest have yet to report their findings. There's been a lot of activity surrounding this online too, though, with some folks on social media, people who seem to have been able to order the requisite materials online within a couple of days, and who have access to the tools required to make LK99 themselves. They've been reporting various things as well, which has been fun and interesting, but there's also somewhat less certainty about these people and teams, and the credibility of their reports. Although there has been a lot of broad enthusiasm about this pursuit, though, it's important to remember that it would not be surprising if this ends up being a dud. Recent history is awash with room temperature ambient pressure superconductivity claims that end up not being what they were said to be, and this particular instance becoming popular on the internet, while most of the others didn't even make it into the mainstream consciousness, does not change that. A lot of smart people who are experts in this space say they are timidly optimistic 
but still assume this will prove to be something other than what it is claimed to be. So that's probably the right heuristic to use when thinking about this for right now. That said, there's also a chance, even if a small one, that this or a similar discovery will lead to something big in the near future. And though we should not work such potentialities into our plans, it does demonstrate the utility and value of doing fundamental science, even in a world in which the technologizing, the application and productizing of existing discoveries tends to get most of the attention and fanfare. The book I'd like to recommend today is called The Body Scout by Lincoln Michael. This is a science fiction thriller mystery of a kind, and the protagonist is a baseball scout at a point in which the game of baseball has been mostly taken over by heavily genetically and technologically modified human beings people who are amped up using all kinds of drugs and cybernetic add-ons to the point where they are barely recognizable as human, but as a consequence, they're able to do just incredible things. And the main character's brother dies on live television while he's at the plate, and so he is compelled to figure out, one, what happened to his brother and whether or not it was an accident or some kind of murder. At a moment in time in which everyone is pretty much owned by different corporations, while he himself struggles with an addiction to cybernetic modifications, which has put him deeper and deeper in debt. Now, if any of that sounds interesting to you, consider picking up a copy of The Body Scout by Lincoln Michael. You can find out more about me and my work at colin.io. You can find the show notes and transcript for this and every episode of the podcast at letsknowthings.com. You can find my other news-focused podcast, One Sentence News, wherever you get your pods or at onesentencenews.com. And please feel free to reach out and say howdy on social media. I'm at Colin is my name on Twitter and Instagram and Colin Wright on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you so very much for listening. I'm Colin Wright, and I'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>